The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everybody. I welcome you to the Braille Revival League meeting and breakfast at the FCB convention. I'm Delores Gintero. I'm president of BRLF. And we're going to have a brief business meeting. I don't know if we'll get the minutes or treasurer's report. If not, we'll deal with it at the August 4th regular meeting. For But right now, I want to turn it over to the chair of the nominating committee because we have to have an election for three board members under our bylaws in the even-numbered year. So I want to introduce to you our vice president, first vice president, uh, Patricia Leposky, also chair of the nominating committee. Pat. Thank you, Dollar. Um, well, first of all, I want to thank everybody for being here today. We appreciate you spending time with us this morning. Um, I have to say, as Dollar stated, the Braille Revival League of Florida will be electing our board reps, of which we have three. And the nominating committee has put forth three names, and I will tell you who the names are, and then we will go back and take them one at a time and open up the floor for nominations. One other thing I'd like to mention is when we do open up the floor for nominations, if you plan to nominate anyone, please make sure that you have checked with them first to see that they are okay with accepting the nomination. So the slate of names that the nominating committee has put forth is Barbara Brown, first term, Georgia Kellogg, second term, and Katie Lear, also second term. So I will now go back and open up the floor, and we will start with the first position of which Barbara Brown has been put forth. Are there any other nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any other nominations from the floor? Madam Chair, I move uh, the election of Barbara Brown by acclamation. Okay, can we get a second? <clears throat> Mary Tyson seconds from the room. Okay, it's been moved and seconded that Barbara Brown be nominated, I'm sorry, be elected for our board position. Congratulations, Barbara. All right, well, let's go with the second one now. We're going to open up the floor for the second one, which is um, Georgia Kellogg is running for. Are there any other nominations from the floor? Are there any other nominations from the floor? Are there any other nominations from the floor? Madam Chair, just to make it easier, <clears throat> I will move the election of Georgia Kellogg by acclamation. Okay. Seconded by Doug Hall. 
Okay. All in favor say aye. 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 Anybody opposed? And I apologize. I think I forgot to do that with Barbara, but oh well. <laughs> All right. Now we have Katie Lear. Are there any other nominations from the floor? Are there any other nominations from the floor? Are there any other nominations from the floor? Madam Chair, I get to do it for a third time. I move that Katie be elected by acclamation. It's been sec seconded by Mary Tyson. Okay. Um, is there anybody in opposition of this nomination? Okay, so Katie Heard there. No from here. Okay, good. All right, well, that concludes my elections for this year. I would like to thank my nominating committee for their hard work and efforts in putting this together. And I would like to congratulate all of our board members. And at this point, I am going to turn the floor back over to our present, Dolan. Thank you, Pat. Good job from your committee. Who's on your committee, by the way, Pat? Um, it's myself, Sherry Melendroff, and um, I think it was Nancy Folsom. Okay. Thank you. And I also congratulate the three board members as well. Uh, the next thing we're going to proceed to is um, our guest speaker. Um, in the interest of time, since we had to be done by nine, if there's no objection in terms of the business meeting, we can do the minutes and treasurer's report in August at our August 4th meeting. Is there any objection to doing that? Again, in the interest of time. Hearing none, that's what we'll do. Um, so at this time, I'd like to introduce a good friend of mine and a mentor when I first joined this organization, um, Paul Edwards. As you know, Paul was, has been president of FCB, ACB as well. He's going to give us the history of the Braille Revival League of Florida and the Braille Revival League. So without further ado, Paul Edwards. Paul, it's all yours. Thanks very much, Delore. <clears throat> One of the more interesting things about being a, a guest speaker at the, at the BRL breakfast is uh, apparently I'm part of the scavenger hunt. So all sorts of beautiful young ladies were coming up and taking my picture with the camera in order to establish that, that they had met that requirement of the scavenger hunt. I think this is the first time in my life I've actually been the object of a scavenger hunt. It's, it's kind of scary. So I, I probably won't be spending a lot of time on the Florida Braille Revival League simply because um, I, I thought we were just talking about the, the Railroad Lively, but I'll say a little bit about it at the very end, but I'm going to try to talk pretty quickly so I can cover as much as I can. Um, when the Railroad Revival League was set up in 1980, we were very much at a crossroads, and a crossroads that isn't dissimilar from the situation that we find ourselves in in 2022. <laughs> The crossroads was because something major had just happened, which had fundamentally altered the state of play for people who are blind in this country and in the world. And it, it would be interesting, I wonder, 
Um, I, I guess we don't have time to play. So I was I was going to ask if anybody wanted to take a guess at what that major event that had happened that fundamentally altered the state of play for blind people at, at around 1980. <laughs> but because there's not a lot of time, I won't I won't take guesses. I suppose I could. I suppose I could say that uh, uh, the impeachment of President Nixon wasn't it. <laughs> but what it actually was, and, and if you, when, when I say it, everybody will say, oh, yeah, that's right, is the introduction of talking computers. They made a huge difference because suddenly teachers in school could say, oh, that's so nice. We've got talking computers now, so those kids don't have to be put to all the trouble of learning Braille. And we as teachers don't have to learn it anymore or teach it. So that's great. <laughs> but it wasn't only teachers and parents. It was also blind people themselves who suddenly decided Braille doesn't matter anymore. I mean, I can have, uh, I can have my speech synthesizer read to me. I can, uh, I can get audio books, which are, which are now for the first time available on cassettes. I can use flexible discs to listen to my magazines. I don't need Braille anymore. <clears throat> In addition to that, the agencies that were training people, whether they were adults who were younger and losing their vision or whether they were seniors who were suddenly losing their vision, recognized we don't have to devote this immense amount of time that we've been spending on Braille in the past. Instead, we can teach them a little bit about computers and send them away and tell them enjoy. And if you haven't learned it, well, <laughs> Somebody will teach you. And the bottom line was that Braille was very quickly becoming irrelevant. One of the things that the Braille Revival League and its sister organization, the National Federation of the Blind, the National Association uh, to Promote the Use of Braille, both began to do was to go from state to state and pass Braille laws, which essentially said to those states, unless you can come up with a damn good reason why somebody shouldn't be taught Braille, you will by gosh teach them Braille. And it's a very important thing that all of the consumers who are directly involved in working to uh, create an environment where Braille was valued um, were, were able to make a difference in this country. Are we there yet? Absolutely not. We are not even close to being there because there are still lots of school systems who take the approach that essentially um, Braille will only be taught to those who have the the absolute demonstrated capacity to learn it and the absolute visual limitations that it's their only option. And that's not okay because so many of our students nowadays are students who have additional disabilities beyond their visual ones. And many of those students are not being given the opportunity to learn Braille because the assumption is they're not going to benefit enough from it. 
We in the Braille Revival League don't believe that. I know we in BRLF do not either. We believe that every child and every adult who has the potential to benefit from Braille ought to be given an opportunity to do that. The other reason that the Braille Revival League got started was uh, because of a guy named Derward McDaniel, who was uh, interested in seeing as many different special interest organizations started that were attached to the American Council of the Blind because he felt like that was a way of increasing the membership of the American Council of the Blind. And he was correct. Um, it, it is actually amazing to think that there was quite a substantial period of time during the history of the Braille Revive League when we had 25 votes, that is it's the same number of votes as Florida has at the national level. This was because at that time, there was a tendency for people to want to be supportive of other affiliates. I think that's changed now. I'm not sure that uh, as many people uh, join special interest affiliates as used to. It used to be kind of a matter of course that if a special interest affiliate had much to do with you, you would actually join that organization and become a part of it. And, and it would make a huge difference um, to the membership of that organization. It's also a very different kind of environment that operated in the past. Um, I said at the beginning that I thought there were parallels between what was going on at the beginning of the Braille Revival League, why it started, with what's going on in 2022. And because we're short of time, I'm actually going to jump ahead and talk a little bit about those parallels, because I want to leave a little time for some questions if people have some. And I also do want to... Um, to talk about the parallels because I think they're important to what we do next. I said I thought there were parallels because we're at another crossroads. And any of you who've read my presidential messages for the past few years will notice that one of the things that I've focused on is the fact that we are in this country at an amazing place where the probability is that within two to four years, Every person in this country who wants an electronic Braille display to be able to read will be able to get one for nothing, free, gratis, courtesy of the National Library Service. If you think about it, to, to have even considered imagining such an eventuality when the Braille Revival League started over 40 years ago, was absolutely out of the question because at that time, the cheapest Braille display that was around was five or $6,000. It is, it is absolutely mind-blowing to me that we are at the stage where suddenly we will have access to, to displays that will allow us to wander around with five or 600 books on a little device, and we can choose what we want to read when we want to read it. So the crossroads comes for three reasons. One, the number of Braille readers at the National Library Service continues to decline. Two, the training that is going on in agencies for adults and seniors is still insufficient 
to create good braille readers. Three, well, a lot of the kids who need to learn braille are learning it. They are also learning to uh, depend a lot more on their computers, I think, than they do on braille displays. And so the net result is that we are still at a place where I think a lot of the people who could benefit the most from these braille displays, particularly folks who could never afford to buy them, are the very people who don't have sufficient training to make them able to use them. So the Braille Revival League is currently engaged in creating contacts with a bunch of agencies involved with Braille. We've already talked with, um, uh, with folks at uh, the Hadley Institute in uh, Illinois, and we've also spoken with the National Braille Press. And we're trying to create cooperative agreements that will help us to understand what the strengths and limitations of these organizations are and how we as members of the Braille Revival League can interact with them uh, to try to make things better. But there is still a huge job for the Braille Revival League of Florida and the Braille Revival League itself to do in 2022. We have the opportunity to create a revolution, but do we have the will to ensure that the agencies that are out there, that the school systems that are out there will continue to assure that Braille is at the heart of what they do. And perhaps more importantly, and this is the final point that I'm gonna make, we need to find a way to protect paper Braille because one of the results of the introduction of these machines is going to probably be that the National Library Service will seriously consider, as they already to a degree are, will seriously consider no longer producing hard copy Braille. It's expensive. There are fewer printing houses out there who can produce it. And the National Library Service is taking the position, perhaps quite rightly, perhaps quite rightly, um, perhaps not, um, that paper Braille is becoming more and more irrelevant. I'm not sure that's true because I think there are a lot of older readers of Braille who will never learn to use Braille displays. And I think that we need to somehow protect their access to literacy, which is another job that we in the Braille Revival League will be required to do if we're gonna be effective and competent at making certain that the dots march on forever. I could say lots more, but I'm not going to because I want to see if anyone may have some questions. Oh, there's not many places you can use Braille? Yes, I'm saying we're changing over from gasoline to electric cars. What the? Yep, okay. Okay, so you need, you need charging stations to, to operate these cars. There's yes. no charging stations all over yet, yep. but they're intended. The same process, how can we be able to have places more than they have now so that we can use Braille? Because a lot of people feel like I'm learning Braille, but I only can use it with another blind person. Well, I, I, you know, I guess what I would say to you is we're, we're perhaps not doing a good job of, of making people aware of some of the benefits of Braille. Um, and, and I guess I would buy buy somewhat into that. <clears throat> but 
all of us who are Braille users and who are, and, and, and who are Braille enthusiasts know that even with, with grade one Braille, you can store phone numbers, you can create addresses, you can play cards, um, you can label things at home, um, you, can, uh, you can get involved with, with a whole range of activities. Um, what we, one of the things that's interesting is uh, in our call the other day with the National Braille Press, they indicate that they're actually going to be marketing what they're calling a Braille literacy kit. And I think that it's going to be marketed uh, to adults. Um, and I think this is actually going to be pretty significant because it will make available um, some other tools um, that, that aren't otherwise available. And I think if we can encourage more agencies and entities to do that, uh, we'll begin to have answers. But think about some other things. Your hotel room in this hotel has Braille on the door. The elevator has Braille so that you can utilize uh, so that you can utilize the elevator safely and know where you're going and know that you've actually gotten there. And all of that is by the use of Braille. So for me, it it isn't that there aren't enough uses. It's that we have not so far persuaded the people who need to learn it that there are um, that there are some available options that Braille can provide that nothing else can. So uh, I guess I, I guess to sum up, I don't think there is anybody who uses Braille who doesn't regard it as one of the more important and significant things um, that that has created for them a sense of empowerment and independence. Anybody who doesn't know Braille and has the ability to learn it should somehow be persuaded to do that because it will change their lives substantially. I would like to thank everyone for uh, going through the trouble of, uh, of listening to check, 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 check all morning. <laughs> and, and, would also, and would also like to thank those in the room and those on Zoom um, for the opportunity to talk with you. You guys are great. And remember, the most important key to independence for blind people is Braille.